into this understanding of who we are and all that we are in you. So Lord, we pray tonight that you would have your way in us, that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, that we truly would draw deeper, that we would come closer to you, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Lord, we would become truly more and more like you. Have your way here tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. What a blessing it is tonight to be led in worship by the Siri family. Terry, Cindy, and their, and their boys. Don't go away. Don't go away. We got a, we, uh, let me need one of these. Oh my goodness. There we go. Got it. Come on up here, guys. Terry and Cindy are actually going to be heading out pretty soon to the mission field, heading to New Guinea. And uh, if you would maybe share a little bit about with us what uh, what it is that you guys are called to do, and um, and this is Levi here. He's going with us also. Uh, we we uh, about a year and a half, two years ago, got God just we we uh, got called to missions and. Uh, um, anyways, now, long story short, we are going to Papua New Guinea, and uh, we'll be gone for three years. Um, and the reason Papua New Guinea, we, 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 we uh, said, Lord, we'll go where the, the need is. And Papua New Guinea, um, the, the reason it's such a uh, urgent mission field and, and so unique is that there's, there's nearly 800, or there's over 800 languages, not dialects, but languages, there and uh, so we are with Wycliffe Bible translators, and we will be part of supporting the translators out in the field there, um, because there's still over 300 of those languages and people groups um, that still have seen no scripture at all. Um, so that's that's what we're called. What is it that you guys are going to be doing specifically? We we will actually be at the mission center in in Ukarumpa, Ukarumpa, and we will be. Uh, basically boarding home parents for all the children of the translators that are out in the field so that they can continue their translation pro pro projects and not have to come in um, to, to, uh, to do that job themselves. So we could have anywhere from 12 to 15 uh, junior high to high school international students um, um, up, to, up to 20 um, that we'll be watching. Well, it's been a blessing to have them be a part of our, our fellowship here. But as you heard in the introduction, uh, they've blessed certainly other fellowships uh, over the years. And one of them, Calvary, Calvary Chapel Blythe. And we have some folks from Calvary Blythe here tonight. So, uh, Rick, I think you have a special message, right? To, so if you would come on up here, please. I necessarily don't have a special message. Uh, these are special people, though. We've known them for several, several, several years. I don't know how many years now, 20 years or something? I mean, a long time. And uh, they've blessed our con congregation along with others along the way, and now they're currently here for the time being, and we're surely going to miss them. But also our pastor, uh, Pastor Mick Catron, planned to be here tonight and came down very ill last night and sent me a little text this morning, let me know that... That was the problem with him. He wouldn't be here tonight, but he wanted to send an audio uh, 
to bless the series with. So he uh, recorded a little audio and emailed it to me. So if you can bear with me and listen carefully, I'll play that for you right now. tonight in surprise for your send-off, but since I can't, I wanted to send you a little greeting and blessing by recording. So, greetings and blessings by recording. You know, you guys walked into our church over 20 years ago when we were just getting started in Blythe, and quickly you became a couple, actually a family, that really just engaged in the ministry. You guys, you and Terry, you and Cindy were both like sponges. It seemed just receiving God's word and enjoying the joy of service and uh, joy in the Lord and serving any way you can. And so as a result, in the early days of our church, you guys put your fingerprints on a whole lot of things. But God had put his fingerprints on you as well. It's awesome for a pastor to have a family like that because that's what every pastor wants is a family that is truly sold out to the Lord and you guys were you guys still are God has over the years taken you from Blythe to different places in Arizona uh, with Terry's work and he's molded you he's given you different experiences and all the while while formulating in your hearts a vision now that retirement has come a vision to be able to uh, head overseas and to serve the Lord there. And, you know, it's not any surprise to me that you guys have kind of, so to speak, gone the distance with the Lord. You love the Lord from the beginning. You made decisions uh, for your finances, your family, uh, moving decisions. Everything that you seem to encounter, you put it under the umbrella of the Lordship of, of Christ and seeking to honor and please him and uh, whatever was in front of you. So it's no surprise to me that he's, he's blessed you in this way and he's given you a place to go uh, with a vision, a new vision. It's not always going to be easy. We were missionaries uh, before we started the church in Blythe in South America, and we know from experience it's not always going to be easy, but man, it is an amazing adventure and journey watching the Lord open doors, watching the Lord fill your hearts, watching the Lord do various things in your life that, that are just under the umbrella of blessing. You know, we learned an adage when we were missionaries because you never knew where you were going to go and what kind of people you were going to meet and what they were going to offer you to eat and all that stuff. So we learned this adage that uh, helped us keep perspective. I share it with you. Lord, where you lead me, I will follow. And what you feed me, I will swallow. <laughs> you know, we're so proud. You guys, you're our first Blythe homegrown missionaries, and it's exciting to see uh, the Surprise Church and Pastor Brett, a dear friend of mine, supporting you guys in the ministry and sending you off. We look forward to great things. We're proud of you, and we love you very, very much. Let me leave you with this verse. Colossians chapter 3, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the reward of the inheritance. It's the Lord Christ whom you serve. 
And as you guys head off to serve him in new ways, may the Lord bless you richly. May he fill you with his incredible joy. May he bless your family. We love you guys. Bye-bye. Thank you, Pastor Brett. And when, it, when is it that you guys are heading out? Uh, we'll be gone July 1st. Oh, sorry. We'll be gone July 1st. Okay, so. all right. Well, and if you'd like to get more information, talk with them. They'll, you'll be around after the service. So, yes. And maybe find out ways you can pray for them or even come alongside and support them. So would you now, as part of the family that we're sending them out, would you please stand and maybe extend a hand out? Let's, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for just the intimate nature of your call for each one of us, how personal it is. And Lord, I thank you for the Siri family and their willingness not only to hear the call, but to answer and respond. And so, Lord, we pray that as they step out in obedience, Lord, that you would bless every step that they take. Uh, Lord, that you would light the path for them every step that they go. And Lord, that you bless them along the way. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come alongside them. And Lord, we pray that you would just continually bring them onto our hearts and onto our minds, Lord, and we lift them up in prayer. Lord, use them for your kingdom's purposes. Lord, I pray that many would come to know you through their their act of obedience to go. And Lord, as the word is translated into languages, then people hear the word for the first time and have a copy of your word in their hands that they can read for the first time. Lord, we pray that fruit would be abundant from that work. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. All right. Well, please grab your Bibles. First Kings is where we are, chapter 8. First Kings, chapter 8. Last week, we looked at the, the construction of the temple on, the, on Mount Zion, the Temple Mount, uh, above the, the city of David, where it's, the Temple Mount, where it still is today the construction of the first temple. And we're going to see as we read through tonight, this is um, the, the final then moving of the Ark of the Covenant from its temporary place that it was in, in, a, in tents as it moved along in the tabernacle and now moving into its permanent home in the temple. And we pick up now chapter 8, verse 1. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the fathers' households of the sons of Israel, to King Solomon in Jerusalem to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from the city of David, which is Zion. All the men of Israel assembled themselves to King Solomon at the feast in the month of Ethanim, which is the seventh month. Now this feast that they're referring to here is the Feast of Tabernacles or also called, referred to as Sukkot. This was uh, a feast that the Lord instituted back in, in Leviticus. We studied through that a couple years ago when we were going through that, that section of, of Scripture. It's a week-long celebration. It's in the fall. They celebrate the fall harvest as it's being brought in. And it's called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles because they built temporary shelters, temporary structures that they would stay in. They, as people traveled from all over, they would build these little, little tents, and that's what they would stay in throughout the week. And it was to remind them how they lived 
in the 40 years as they wandered in the wilderness before entering the promised land, and they were reminded of, of God's care for them, how he provided for them every step of the way, how he protected them there. This was one of the three pilgrimage feasts where, where every male was required to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to be a part of this feast where they were required to appear before the Lord. And that's why it says here in verse, verse 2, all the men. Now, last week we looked at the fact that this, that it was, the, let's see, back in, oh, where was it? Anyway, where it completed. I don't have it marked here. Anyway, 11 months later is where we are now. The temple has been completed for 11 months. David or Solomon waited until this time to have this feast and to have this celebration. 11 months of preparation going into, after the temple is done, preparation and, and knowing that all of these, these people would be here for this. Verse 3, then all the elders of Israel came and the priests took up the ark. They brought up the ark of the Lord and the tent of meeting and all the holy utensils which were in the tent and the priests and the Levites brought them up. Now, notice it says, all the elders came up with Israel and the priests took up the ark. They carried it the proper way as, it was, as the Lord commanded them to. No doubt, David told Solomon, if you ever move this ark, you do it the way God says to move it. Remember, we looked at this back when, several weeks ago when David was going to bring the ark to, to Jerusalem and they put it on a cart, remember? And it, was, it probably was a new cart drawn, drawn by healthy oxen, but God said that it's to be carried, not placed on anything man-made. And as the ark is moving along and the cart, they stumble and it starts to come off and one of the priests reaches, reaches out, remember Uzzah reaches out to stabilize the ark and as soon as he touched it, he was struck dead and David pulled off to the side, they got it, but finally brought it in the way it was supposed to be brought in, obedience that the priests are carrying the ark. And so they're, they're in this not only bringing the ark up, but all of the utensils, all of the other things that were going to be placed into the temple itself. Verse 5, And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled to him were with him before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen they could not be counted or numbered. Then the priests brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place into the inner sanctuary of the house, to the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubim made a covering over the ark and its poles from above. But the poles were so long that the ends of the poles could be seen from the holy place before the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen outside. They are still there to this day. They brought the ark into it, the holy of holies, that place where only the high priest was allowed to go once a year. And behind the, the veil that is there, you could see the poles sticking out on the, on the sides of it, but you could not see the ark itself. And then from outside there, outside into the courtyard area, that could not be seen, as it was saying here. Verse 9, there was nothing in the ark except the two tablets of stone which Moses put there at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the sons of Israel when they came up out of the land of Egypt. It says there's nothing in the ark except the two tablets of stone. Does that make anyone question anything? What else, what else was in the ark that we saw back in, 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 the, in the Pentateuch? The gold bowl of manna? Aaron's rod that budded? Where are they? I don't know. It doesn't tell us. 
We just know that, that the only things that's in there are the two tablets of, of, the, of stone right now. That, that we, don't, we don't have an answer to what happened to the others, but we know that the law of the Lord is still inside the ark. And, it, and it's interesting that, that, that they refer back to here, the author is writing here and saying, where the Lord made a covenant with the sons of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. This was 500 years after that time. And, and again, we, we think, you know, 500 years, we read of that. You know, again, think of what, what, was, what was going on in America 500 years ago. I mean, that's a long time has transpired. And it's significant because this meant something. This was a celebration for the people because now this, this final resting place for the ark is built 500 years after they came out of Egypt. Something about now having this permanent home for the ark and for the presence of God and for what it symbolized. Just imagine the excitement that is going on here. It happened that when the priests came from the holy place, the cloud filled the house of the Lord. The Shekinah glory of God came down upon the temple so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. The glory of the Lord comes down, and it says that as it fills this place, the priests had to come out. They couldn't even stand in the presence of the Lord. And we know all of the attributes about God. We sang of it earlier. He is love. He, he, is, he, he, is, he is gentle, he is kind, he is long-suffering, but we can never lose sight of the fact that he is holy, that he is completely other. And when they were in the, in the presence of this, they had to step away from it. And we see other instances of that. Remember in Isaiah, you read through the first five chapters of Isaiah, Isaiah is, woe is you, woe is you, woe is you. And then in Isaiah chapter 6, when he sees a vision of the Lord and he stands in, in his presence, in his glory, he falls down and he says, woe is me. Peter, when he came face to face with Jesus and, and Jesus told him to cast the net out on the other side and he pulls in that whole load of fish, what did Peter do? He fell down on his face. He said, away from me, Lord, for I am not worthy. I'm a sinful man. And we see even in, 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 in the book of Revelation, as John sees Jesus in his glory, it says that he falls down on his face, just in reverence and in awe of the glory of God in his holiness. Verse 12, then Solomon said, the Lord has said that he would dwell in the thick cloud. I have surely built you a lofty house, a place for your dwelling forever. Then the king faced about and blessed all the assembly of Israel while all the assembly of Israel was standing. Now, when we get maybe have a picture of this in our mind, you, you, he turns around at the, in the temple and you, you imagine a big crowd of people, right? Well, if all of the men of Israel are there, and no doubt not every single man in Israel was there, but most of them were, we're talking probably well over a million people, <laughs> It wasn't a courtyard full. People were standing on the hillside around. I mean, this massive group of people. And Solomon now turns around and he addresses them and he blesses them. He said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who spoke with his mouth to my father David and has fulfilled it with his hand, saying, since the day that I brought my people Israel from Egypt, I did not choose a city out of all the tribes of Israel in which to build my house that my name might be there, but... I chose David to be over my people Israel. 
Now it was in the heart of my father David to build a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, because it was in your heart to build the house for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the house, but your son who will be born to you, he will build the house for my name. Now the Lord has fulfilled his word which he spoke, for I have risen in my place of my father and sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised, and I have built the house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. There I have set a place for the ark in which it is the covenant of the Lord, which he made with our fathers when he brought them from the land of Egypt. Solomon recounting again, but giving giving some credit to his father in this, that it was, that it was David's heart to build this for him, and, and that God loved David and the heart of David behind this. And we've talked of this a couple of times. The Lord said, no, you're not going to be the one to build it. And David received that, understood that it was going to be his son Solomon that would build it. And he went about and got all of the materials and gathered all of the gold and all of the stuff and made sure that everything was going to be taken care of. He got the plans from the Lord and passed them on to Solomon with that. And here, Solomon recognizing that as he blesses the people and again, that speaking to the, the glory of what is taking place. Then verse 22 Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all of the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. Notice it says he stood before the altar. He did not go into the temple where the the ark was because he is a king and only priests can go into the temple. He's standing outside in the courtyard by the the large altar there. It says that he stands and he spreads out his hands towards heaven and he prays. And when I read that, it's, it's, it's important to stop here because there are some people that say, you know, okay, we're going to pray now. How many people sitting around the table? Okay, fold your hands and bow your heads. How many of you learned to pray like that? I mean, that's, you know, fold your hands, bow your heads. But we see Solomon doing the exact opposite. He's lifting up his arms and he's standing. Guys, it's not the posture of your body when you pray. It's the posture of your heart. And, and there's something kind of neat about when you're praying, standing up with your arms open, that, that, that ready to receive, Lord, whatever you would have. And he prays, it says, gives us, it records for us over the next many verses his prayer. He said, O Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing loving kindness to your servants who walk before you with all their heart, who have kept with your servant, my father David, that which you have promised him. Indeed, you have spoken with your mouth and you have fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. Starting off a prayer like that, Lord, there's no God like you in heaven or on earth. Why, why would he start out a prayer like that? Does God need his ego stroked? Does God need a self-confidence boost? <laughs> of course not. We begin a prayer like that, and it's, and it's good when we begin our prayers to, to, to exalt God for who he is because it reminds us who it is that we're speaking to and how good he is and how amazing he is. Notice again, he talks again of how, how you promised and how you fulfilled your promises. Now, therefore, O Lord, the God of Israel, keep with your servant David, my father, that which you promised him. Keep the promise that you made that you shall not lack a man to sit on the throne of Israel if only your sons take heed to the way that they walk before you as you have walked. 
That was the promise that, that God made to David. Now therefore, O God of Israel, let your word, I pray, be confirmed which you have spoken to your servant, my father, David. Let your word be confirmed. Your word, Lord, in your way. But, and notice, that it, before we're talking about this, this, this temple that was built and the, the, the glory of God and the dwelling place of the Lord and, and that type of thing, it, he does, he's not thinking for a second, Solomon, that this, this little place that he's built is somehow going to contain all of God. He says that next. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house which I have built understanding how amazing and glorious God is and how, how wonderful and awesome he is. But it's interesting. He says, but, I will, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? And I'm drawn to John 1.14. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Can God indeed dwell on the earth? Yes, he did. The, the incarnation, God himself stepping off of his throne, Jesus coming and becoming one of us. And, and as it tells us in Colossians, the fullness of deity dwelling in bodily form, dwelling among us. Verse 28, yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his supplication. The... the the idea that he's coming before the, the all-powerful, all-creating, all-knowing God, and he's, he's saying, but I understand this. I understand who you are, but, but listen. Regard the prayer of your servant. Listen to the cry and to the prayer which your servant prays before you today, that your eyes may be open toward this house night and day, toward the place of which you have said, my name shall be there, to listen to the prayer which your servant shall pr pray toward this place. Listen to the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel. When they pray toward this place, hear in heaven your dwelling place. Hear and forgive. We're going to see a common theme through this prayer, this request that Solomon continually makes. First, hear our prayer, and secondly, forgive. Understanding again who we are and who he is. He continues, if a man sins against his neighbor and is made to take an oath, and he comes and takes an oath before your altar in this house, then hear in heaven and act and judge your servants, condemning the wicked by bringing his way on his own head and justifying the righteous by giving him according to his righteousness. The only time in this prayer he actually calls for justice to be done, when somebody was, would be actually come, two people coming before the, 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 the temple, the, the altar, and saying, okay, we have this dispute. One is saying, this, this is truth. The other saying, no, this is truth. Lord, judge between the two of them. As we saw Solomon doing in his wisdom before with the two women and the, and the, the one baby that he said, get the sword, cut it in half, you know. Use it. But he's saying, here, Lord, you judge when two come between you. Or before you. Verse 33, when your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you, if they turn to you again and confess your name and pray and make supplication to you in this house, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land which you gave to their fathers. When? 
when your people sin, when your people fall away, when they are defeated before an enemy. Solomon here speaking even prophetically, looking back certainly to the past as it's happened numerous times in the past, but it will happen again where they sin and they turn away from God and their enemies come and defeat them. And he's saying, but when that happens, if their hearts are changed, if they truly are repentant and they turn to you, then hear their prayer, Lord, and forgive them and bring them back. Bring them back into the land which you have given them. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, and they pray towards this place and confess your name and turn from their sin when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants and of your people Israel. Indeed, teach them the good way in which they should walk and send rain on your land which you have given your people for an inheritance. Again, because of sin turning against you if you choose to judge or discipline them by bringing famine, when they realize and recognize and repent and turn from their sin, turn from their wicked ways, turn back to you, hear their prayer, heal their land, forgive their sin. Verse 37, if there's famine in the land, if there's pestilence, if there's blight or mildew, locust or grasshopper, if their enemy besieges them in the land of their cities, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer or supplication is made by any man or by all your people Israel, each knowing the affliction of his own heart and spreading his hands towards this house, then hear in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act and render to each according to all his ways those, who, those whose heart you know, for you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men. Notice in verse 38 it says, knowing the affliction of his own heart. Knowing the affliction of his own heart. You know, the Bible tells us that our hearts are desperately wicked. And if it's just left up to us in our own hearts, we'll justify sin. We'll continue to make excuses and continue on. But guys, do you realize what a blessing conviction is? As believers, the blessing that conviction is in sin in our life? What a blessing it is that God has given us a conscience that we know right from wrong. He, he tells us in his word over and over, we know and it, that's inherent in every one of us. He created, he wired that in us from, from our very inception that we have a conscience. We know right and wrong. But the Bible does tell us, Paul tells Timothy, that our consciences can be seared. And you know what happens when, you, when something is seared, if you've ever had that, that you know, something, it, you lose feeling there. And we can harden our hearts towards the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And, and we can fall further and further away, but, but again, what a blessing it is that we have a conscience, that we have conviction, that the Holy Spirit convicts us. And it, he says that you will hear in heaven your dwelling place, and it sounds like, you know, here in heaven that we're a long, long distance away and we have to, you know, cry out in this loud voice. You know what, though? The distance between a broken and contrite heart in heaven is not a long distance call. It's, it's, it's just a cry out, Lord, forgive me. Lord, create in me again that clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. He says, you alone know the hearts 
of all the sons of men. You alone know our hearts, Lord, and that's why it's so important as we pray that we say, Lord, you search me. You know my heart. Search me and reveal to me any of those ways. Also, by the way, I have you alone underlined a couple of times in my Bible because, oh, I have such a tendency to judge people's hearts. <laughs> I see at times, and, it, and, it's, and it's easy for us to say, I know what you're thinking. I know why you did that. I know those types of things. But the Lord alone knows the hearts. Our job isn't to judge hearts, guys. <laughs> we get it all back, backwards a lot of times. It says, oh, God, it's your job to love them. I'll judge them. That's upside down, guys. <laughs> it's his job to judge them. It's our job to love them. You alone know. You alone know the hearts of all the sons of men, that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land which you have given our fathers. Also, verse 41, he says, concerning the foreigners who, is, who are not of your people, Israel, when, it come, when they come from a far country for your name's sake, for they will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm when he comes and he prays towards this house here in heaven, your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name, to fear you and do as your people Israel, that they may know that this house which I have built is called by your name. Foreigners coming. Coming and, and hearing and, and in, in wonder of this, this amazing God that, that you Israelites, you Jewish people are worshiping in awe of him. And God's heart is for them as well. We understand as the, the, the temple is there and then the court of the men and then the court of the women and then the court of the Gentiles. Remember we talked about that even this past weekend. There was a court designed for the Gentiles that came. And the heart of God was not to treat them any differently. His heart is to reach them and to bless them as well. That is why Jesus was so upset when he came into the court of the Gentiles and they had turned it into the, the money-changing place and all of the, the, the commerce that was going on. Remember, and he turns over the tables and he said, this is to be a house of prayer and you've turned it into a den of thieves. And the Jewish people at that time had to say, well, this is just the court of the Gentiles. And Jesus is saying, you're missing the whole point. This is a place for them to come to. And when they see the goodness of God, his heart, his heart towards redemption and reconciliation, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation as Christians. Even even when the world sees, when we would stumble, come back, and the Lord forgives. David said this, Psalm 51, after he came back to the Lord and repented with his sin, from his sin with Bathsheba, he said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain me with a willing spirit, then... I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. When, when others see God's forgiving work in us and, and, and our response to him in worship and in praise, people are drawn. The world will hear of your great name and your mighty hand in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name. This isn't just some localized thing. This isn't just for us. This is for all people. 
Verse 44, when your people go out to battle against their enemy by whatever way you should send them, and they pray to the Lord towards the city which you have chosen and the house which I have built for your name, then hear in heaven their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. When they sin against you, for there is no man who does not sin, and you are angry with them and deliver them to an enemy so that they take, take them away into, captivity, into a captive in their land, in a land far off, far off or near, if they take thought in the land where they have been taken captive and repent and make supplication to you in the land of those who have taken them captive, saying, we have sinned and have committed iniquity and have acted wickedly, if they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in their land of the enemies who have taken them captive and pray to you toward their land which you have given to their fathers, the city which you have chosen and the house which I have built for your name, then hear their prayer and their supplication in heaven your dwelling place, and maintain their cause. And forgive your people who have sinned against you, you and all their transgressions, which they have transgressed against you, and make them objects of compassion before those who have taken them captive, and they, that they may have compassion on them. For they are your people and your inheritance, which you have brought forth from Egypt to the midst from the midst of the iron furnace, that your eyes may be open to the supplication of your servant and to the supplication of your people Israel to listen to them whenever they call to you. And we see this played out again as we will continue to study through the history of the, of the children of Israel. This takes place. They're taken captive. They're taken captive and they're, they're brutally treated. But there comes a time when, when in Ezra, in Nehemiah's time, when, when they come back and they, they, Nehemiah goes and asks for provision to go back and rebuild the temple from the people that have taken them captive. And not only does he give them permission, he sends them, sends them the building materials and everything to rebuild the temple. When their hearts are turned and they, and they pray and they repent, God is faithful. He is always, always faithful. We can, we can never go so far away that simply turning, that prodigal son story, simply turning and returning to the Lord. Verse 53, For you have separated them from all the peoples of the earth as your inheritance, as you spoke through Moses your servant when you brought our fathers forth from Egypt, O Lord God. You have separated them, chosen them. And again, we've talked of this. They weren't chosen because, man, they were something super special. As a matter of fact, they were they, uh, mighty in number. It says, you were chosen because I chose you. <laughs> because I, I picked you. And again, as, as Christians, we, we know that to be true of us. God didn't choose us because we brought something special to the table. <laughs> not many mighty, not many noble, not many wise. He chose us. He redeems us. He gives us what we need to go and do the things that he lays out before us. He gives us an inheritance. Amazing. In verse 54, when Solomon had finished praying this entire prayer and supplication to the Lord, he arose from before the altar of the Lord from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread toward heaven. Now remember... Back in verse 22, he started standing. And somewhere in this prayer, 
he falls to his knees. And I find that often in my prayer life too as I'm praying and I'm, and I'm before the Lord and before I know it, I just feel just in an act of just worship and humility that God would even listen to my prayer on my knees before him. Challenged by that though too. He stood then and he blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice saying, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he promised through Moses his servant. Not one word has failed. Not one word. And not one word has ever failed. Not one word. Every word that God says is true. Every promise that he makes is true. I mentioned this, this, this weekend, and it's something that I heard a long time ago that's really stuck with me. God's promises aren't true when they are seen. They're true when they're spoken. We can know that we know that we know that his word is true. He cannot lie. It's not that he chooses not to. He cannot lie. So when... The, Again, Solomon pointing back to the fact that his word has never failed, and it won't fail now. And I say that to encourage anyone here who is going through a struggle, who is perhaps maybe you feel you're on your last leg. You feel like, man, there's, I just can't take much more. God has, has turned me away. Or that, man, you were on fire at one time for the Lord, but man, now you've drifted away, and God's just you just feel like God's just about ready to crush you out. There's a promise that a battered reed he will not break off and a smoldering wick he will not put out. He will not break off. He will not put out. If you're just barely hanging on and a burden that you're carrying, Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. That's a promise. And his promise is true. You simply need to come with your burden and give it to him. The enemy might be telling you again, you are, you've sinned, you've fallen away, you're too far, you are, you are out of grace now. The Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's not waiting to snuff you out. He's waiting to fan you back into flame. But just as the prayer that was here, you need to turn. You need to repent. You need to come back. And he will forgive. His promise is that if we confess our sin, again, we've talked of this numerous times, but confessing our sin isn't just saying, hey, yeah, I blew it. No, confessing our sin is to agree with God, to come into full agreement with him as to what sin is, what is sin, and who he is, and the, the just penalty for sin, but the fact that Jesus took it all. We confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise. And not one word has failed, and it never will. May the Lord our God be with us, verse 57, as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us. And again, we have that promise. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Notice, too, as he's giving this benediction and blessing them, that he may incline our hearts to himself, not that he may incline his heart towards us. 
The blessing comes, guys, when our will and our hearts are bent and inclined towards him. That's when the true blessing comes. We can in our prayer life and in our own understanding and think, man, God, I, I pray for this blessing that you would give me what I'm asking for right now. That I know is what the blessing that's coming. But as we, again, we talked this weekend, no good thing will he withhold from us for those who walk uprightly. No good thing. The good thing is what is on his heart. And when we bend our will towards him, our heart towards him, that is when the true blessing comes and he pours out those blessings on us. That, we may, that he may incline our hearts to himself to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his ordinances which he commanded our fathers. And may these words of mine with which I have made supplication before the Lord be near to the Lord our God day and night that he may maintain the cause of his servants and the, and the cause of his people Israel, as each day requires, and his mercy is new every day. Everything that we need for each day. Notice, though, verse 60, so that, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God, there is no one else. Not only that, the, that when, as we turn our hearts to him, we receive forgiveness, we receive blessing from him, but also, again, the world sees, the world takes notice, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. He didn't, he didn't choose them or choose us and reject others. He chose us, and then through his work in us, his desire then is to draw all men to himself. It's not his heart that any should perish, but all come to repentance. Let your heart, therefore, be wholly devoted to the Lord our God, to walk in his statutes and to keep his commandments as at this day. Let your heart, therefore, be wholly devoted to the Lord. Verse 62 now the king and all Israel with him offered sacrifice before the Lord. Solomon offered for the sacrifice of peace offerings, which he offered to the Lord, and note this, 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the sons of Israel dedicated to the house of the Lord. 22,000 oxen, 120,000 sheep were sacrificed were offered in the peace offering. Now the peace offering, again, as it's laid out for us in Leviticus, was an offering where the part of the offering was placed, the best parts were placed on the altar and offered up to the Lord, but then the rest, the meat portions, uh, were given back, and it was a time of great fellowship. You'd, you'd get together and you'd eat together and, and join with God in this celebration, this, this, this meal together. Now as I mentioned, there are a lot of people there. Now, this sounds like a lot, 22,000 oxen, 120,000 sheep, and it is. But think of all the people that were there and all of the celebration that is going on. Just again, imagine the scene. On the same day, the king consecrated the middle of the court that was before the house of God because there he offered the burnt offerings and the grain offerings and the fat and the peace offerings for the bronze altar that was before the Lord was too small to hold the burnt offering and the grain offering and the fat offering of the peace offering. So the whole court area was designated to offer these offerings up because to sacrifice and do 142,000 animals wasn't going to happen on the one altar that was there. 
Imagine, what a barbecue. Imagine that, that, that smell that was just going, you know, you drive down Bell Road every time, once in a while, and you drive by the steakhouse, and the wind's just right, and you're like, oh, man, it was like that everywhere. It was like, awesome. So Solomon observed the feast at that time, and all Israel with him, a great assembly from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt before the Lord our God for seven days and seven more days, even 14 days. Remember the, 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 the that Feast of Booths that we were talking about is a one-week-long celebration? Well, they extended it for another week, for two weeks. On the eighth day, he sent the people away, and they blessed the king. Then they went to their tents joyful, joyful, <laughs> grateful, and just full with all of that meat, and glad of heart for all the goodness that God had shown to David, his servant, and to Israel, his people. This is a high point for the children of Israel. This is a high point here. They dedicate the temple, finally this, this resting place for the Ark of the Covenant and God's glory to come down. No doubt the people that are present there saying, okay, here it is, finally. And the, the joy that goes on and the celebration that is here. Well, we'll stop there tonight. We'll pick up in chapter 9 next time. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your word is true. We thank you that your promises are sure. Lord, we thank you that you have chosen us. Lord, when we wanted nothing to do with you, you placed your love on us. While we were yet sinners, you died for us, redeeming us. Lord, we thank you for calling us to yourself. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, your mercy that is new every morning. We thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness that is, that is there for us. And Lord, if there is any wicked way in us right now, would you reveal that to us? We thank you for the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our hearts even right now, Lord, and we turn to you. If there is anything, Lord, that we need to deal with, Lord, we deal with it right now. Confess our sin. Forgive us of our sin, Lord. Our desire is to walk in a manner worthy of this calling that you've placed on us so that the world would see, so that the world would know that you are God. Lord, we thank you and we praise you that, that your temple is, is not a building somewhere where you reside on the other side of the world, but Lord, as Christians, we know that our bodies are a temple. This great mystery that, that you are in us. Lord, again, our prayer is that we would, that we would walk in a manner worthy, that we, would be, that we would be temples that you are pleased to dwell in. Thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys.